Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. If you and I had been in Jerusalem that uh, fateful afternoon when Jesus was crucified, I wonder how near the cross you would have stood. It's one thing to sing, Jesus, keep me near the cross, and it's quite another to actually stand near the cross. Roman soldiers were there, of course, because their duty right at the cross, protection, and that was their job. Others were there because of their devotion to Jesus. When we speak of drawing near to the cross, we obviously are not talking about a literal geography. The cross of which Jesus died is gone, and you and I cannot go outside the city wall of Jerusalem and stand near the cross. No, we are speaking about a spiritual position. We are talking about living with a sense of awareness of what Christ did for us at Calvary and what that can and should mean for our lives. This third word from the cross helps us to understand what it means to live our lives beneath the cross. Let's take a look at the scene at Jesus' crucifixion, and then we'll make some application for us today. So first of all, beneath the cross, we see devotion to Christ, beneath the cross. Jesus, in his dying moments, thought not of himself, but thought of others. Look at verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, these women were among Jesus' most loyal followers. These four women were near the cross, not far away. They also stood among, they stood strong instead of shutting down in their indescribable grief. It took courage for them to be there and to stand near the one who had been crucified. Let's take a closer look at these four women. First of all, we see Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, we know her story well. We know that the angel appeared to her and told her she would be the mother of of God's son and the promised Messiah. All the Old Testament pointed to her child would be him. We know of his miraculous birth and the amazing events that accompanied it and how God protected and provided for his son and for the family. Oh, how I'm sure she looked forward to the day when her son be proclaimed himself as the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of Israel, then ushered in the great and wonderful day of the Lord all Israel longed for. I can only imagine what she thought and what she looked forward to Jesus growing into a manhood and having his public ministry. And everything she had gone through in the meantime, the gossip in Nazareth as an unwed mother, the flight into Egypt, the the years of hardship after Joseph was gone, ever how he died or wherever he went, even the loneliness of Jesus leaving home to proclaim his message as an itinerant preacher throughout all of Israel. It'd be worth it all as Jesus became the divine king of the Jews. I can imagine the pride and the love swelling up in her. But suddenly, her world came crashing down 
around her. Has she been wrong all this time? Wasn't he really the Son of God? Then why is he hanging on the cross? God, what is happening? Is this the way it's supposed to be? Can you imagine what she's thinking there at the cross, beneath the cross? Maybe Mary didn't understand, but Mary could love. Her presence there at the cross was the most natural thing in the world. Jesus might be a criminal in the eyes of the law or the eyes of the world, but he was her son, and the eternal love of a mother is seen in Mary at the cross. Mary's presence there says to us, if you dare to stand close to the cross, you'll discover that even though there are times when things don't go the way you'd like them to go, and times when life seems to be crumbling and falling all around you, and times when there are burdens that seem too heavy to bear, if you're not, but if you'll not become too discouraged and stay close to the cross, God will take care of you. Oh, I think I could spend a couple sermons on Mary here. But that's it for right now. Mary, the mother of Jesus, we see from the very beginning of the Gospels to this point, sitting near the cross. Second, we see the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, we know from other places her name is Salome. John mentions this woman here just as a sister of Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, but doesn't give her his name. He simply tells us that, he, that she's a sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. But both Matthew and Mark make it quite clear she was Salome, the wife of Zebedee and the mother of James and John, the apostles of Jesus. So think through that for a second. That means that Jesus and James and John were first cousins. That's an interesting concept. Now, we don't know a whole, whole lot about Salome, but there is one brief event in Matthew 20 that shows us that she once received from Jesus a very definite and stern rebuke. Once when Jesus was near the height of his ministry, Salome and her sons, James and John, had come to Jesus, remember this story? And asked Jesus for a favor to give her sons the chief places in the kingdom. Jesus, would you make one the vice president, another one the secretary of state in your kingdom? Number two and number three positions in all the kingdom. Do you remember what happened? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and your other at the left in your kingdom. But Jesus rebuked her request and tried to teach her how wrong such a thought of selfish ambition was. Instead, he told her that he was going to be going to the way of a bitter, bitter cup. And now she stands at the foot of the cross. Maybe for the first time, she is beginning to understand which cup Jesus was talking about at that rebuke. Jesus spoke. He said, can you drink this cup about the drink? No problem, they said, James and John. But now she, their mother, sees the cup, the same cup that Jesus prayed would be removed from him when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. For the first time, Salome realizes that she was asking, what she was asking when she asked, would you let my sons be seated on your right and on your left? But in a way, haven't we been a lot like her? Wanting blessings without the burdens. Wanting a crown without a cross. Like Salome, we 
have wanted the benefits, but not the responsibilities that come with them. Jesus had rebuked her, and yet she was at the cross. Her presence there says much for her and much for Jesus. It shows that she had a loving humility to accept that rebuke and to love with undiminished devotion. Even from a family member, perhaps it sounds like this was her nephew who was rebuking her. It also shows that Jesus could rebuke a person in such a way that his love would show shine through the rebuke. Of all the people there at the cross, she was one of those there. Then third, we have Mary, the wife of Clopas. Now, we really know nothing else about this other Mary at the cross except she was the wife of Clopas. However, this tells us something significant about her. We can see how Clopas's wife, Mary, was a lady whose resolve to remain devoted to Jesus regardless of what others might say to her or about her. No doubt she stood at the cross that day, witnessing the lengths to which Jesus was willing to go to for her sake. She was inspired to go to whatever lengths required in living for his sake. Perhaps the need of some of us today is for a new commitment to live for Jesus. Perhaps you find that your family or your friends or those whom you work with or attend school with are not supportive of your devotion to Christ. To you, the Holy Spirit would say, draw near to the cross. Draw near to the cross and find inspiration and motivation to keep on living for the one who died for you. Mary, the wife of Clopas. And the fourth lady is Mary Magdalene. This is the third Mary. Of the four ladies, is three Marys. Very common name, obviously, in the ancient Israel. Now, her name is very familiar to each of us, Mary Magdalene. She's almost famous in the New Testament. But we don't know a whole lot about her, really. But yet what we do know tells us a lot. For example, we know that she was a follower of Jesus, and on that resurrection morning, a few days from this point, she was at his tomb long before anybody else was, before any of the apostles were. Mark 16, 9 tells us, When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. So Mary Magdalene gladly became a follower of Jesus. Jesus had redeemed her and cleansed her and saved her. And now at the cross, she was seeing how much of her redemption was costing him. Do you think God just kind of snap his fingers and we're all redeemed? Just, just like that. Do you think God just waves his magic wand and all our sins are gone? No, it's not that easy. That's not the way the universe is set up. It costs God everything that even God had to give to make it possible for you and for me to be redeemed from our sins. And Mary Magdalene at the cross stands eternal testimony to the love of God and his willingness to forgive us even today. So those are four women, Mary, Salome, Mary, and Mary, all at the cross. But there's a fifth person named here, John, not named specifically, but the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is the Apostle John. 
This is the only male disciple at the cross. The others have left. After the arrest of Jesus in the garden, they all scattered. At least Peter came to the courtyard of the high priest's house and saw Jesus. Give Peter some credit. John was there too. But they're all scared. They're all behind locked doors now. Peter is in depression. Judas has hung himself. All others are hiding. John did come back to the cross with the women there at the cross. So all five of these individuals, we see devotion to Christ just by being there beneath the cross. What do we see there? Second, we see care for one another at the cross. Take a look, closer look at John 19, 26. Jesus then said, woman, behold your son. In that culture, instructions from a dying man were like writing them on a piece of paper. We'd say a will, be notarized, you might say. As if Jesus was preparing his will and executing his will right there on the spot. This oral testimony made in front of witnesses was now binding. He knew he couldn't take care of her fur any longer, and he entrusted his mother to the apostle John. In those days, there's no social security, there's no pension plans. She was a widow. And since Jesus was the oldest son, it was his responsibility to take care of his mother in her old age. And Jesus is fulfilling the most basic and sacred obligation that any son ever had by living out the fifth commandment found in Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and mother. Even while performing redemption, Jesus was faithful in his responsibility as a son. What an amazing mind to be clear enough on the cross in great pain to do this. But I'm sure the question comes to your mind, where were Jesus' other brothers? Were they not the cross? I mean, if Jesus' elder brother is dying and no longer there, the next brother should take care of his mother. Where are they? They apparently were not believers. If you recall, Jesus said that he would bring division in the family. In his own family, apparently. Remember that in the Gospels that his brothers thought he was out of his mind, beside himself. On at least one occasion, they went and tried to get Jesus out of the crowd because he, he's crazy. They rejected him. Made fun of him, really, in one place. But, but wait, if you'll turn a couple pages to Acts chapter 1. This is after the resurrection, and this is before the day of Pentecost. And, and the 120 are in the upper room praying. Look at chapter 1, verse 12 of Acts. Then they, after the ascension, returned to Jerusalem for the mount called Olive, Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, <clears throat> James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And you probably can interpret that brothers and sisters. We're talking about his brothers or brothers and sisters were there. Something's happened from the cross where the brothers were not there and disbelieving to 50 days later, they're there. No doubt. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to James, his brother. James is the one who wrote the book of James. 
Jude is Jesus' half-brother as well, who wrote the book of Jude. Those are two brothers of Jesus right there. Something happened between the crucifixion, resurrection, and the ascension where Jesus somehow met them and they became believers. But they were not there at the cross. But James becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem eventually. In John 19, 27, after telling his mother, look to John for support, he now turns to the disciple whom he loved, John, and says, behold your mother. So Jesus is on the cross hanging, and I'm sure in great pain, as you would be crucifixion, and he sees his mother and says, to, looking to John, behold, this is your son. And he says, John, this is your mother. Take care of her. There's incredible honor for a disciple to be given a role in the teacher's family. Here John is given responsibility and privilege of caring for Jesus' mother, Mary. The first, this disciple, John, models two great qualities. First of all, he came back to Jesus. Let's give him credit for that. He came to the cross. Even though he had bailed out like the others when Jesus was arrested, he returned. And when he came back, he found grace at the cross. He didn't find rebuke from Jesus that you left me. They found grace. Second, he was willing to do whatever he was asked. It says, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. He models obedience. He immediately took her home to a house in Jerusalem where he lived. And according to legend, he took her with him when he later moved to Ephesus. John, not questioned Jesus, saying, what about your brothers and sisters? Where are they? Can't they take care of your mother? No, John's obedience was immediate. It was joyful and sacrificial and a good example for all of us to follow. And this leads me to my third and final point. What applications can we draw from the scene at the cross? We can see the same devotion and care today. While others were indifferent to Christ's final act of sacrificial love there on the cross that fateful day, Jesus was not indifferent to the needs of those around him. He was forgiving those who were crucifying him. He was giving assurance to this man who repented and said, you'll be with me in paradise. Now he's talking to his mother and saying, I'm putting the care I should be giving to you to the care of this one I love, John. I think the same is true today. He knows about all your needs, your needs and my needs. When he hung on the cross, he thought of others. He forgave the unforgivable. He, he saved the terrorist. He cared for his mother. And his care continues on to us in at least three different ways. Let me enumerate. First of all, he takes care by restoring those who have drifted away. John, like the other guys, bolted when Jesus was arrested some hours earlier, when things got tough, but he didn't stay away. He returned to Jesus and wasn't scolded or wasn't shamed by Jesus. He was given grace and he was recommissioned for ministry. So friend, have you walked away? Have you, good Baptist term, backslidden? It's time to come back. Allow his grace to melt your heart, draw you closer to the cross. 
So I think we see some care and devotion today by restoring those who have drifted away like John, and second, by connecting others to a caring community called the church. As you know, the church is not a building, but a group of people who have been redeemed and been given entirely new relationships. We're called to relate to each other, and we say brothers and sisters, don't we? That's, that's, that's family talk. That's, that's intimacy talk. And doing what we can to care for one another. Dr. Luke records in Acts 2.42, he says that the first followers were devoted to the fellowship among other things. Are you devoted to a body of believers? Are you devoted to this body of believers? Are you transparent and vulnerable to others? Are you looking for ways to care for your brothers and your sisters? Some of us have disengaged or unplugged from people. The church is here to help you connect with God and to connect with each other. And third, I see how we can care and have devotion is by honoring our parents. Jesus fully discharged the obligation of every relationship he sustained, either to God or to his fellow man. When he honored his mother, he gave us an example to do the same. And here are some ways that we can fulfill the fifth commandment that Jesus was fulfilling here. First of all, ask God to help you think of ways to honor your parents. Do your parents have a need right now? Is there something practical you can do for them? When God nudges you, then do what he's asking you to do before it's too late. If you can't honor them while they're alive, you can remember them after they've died. The best way to honor someone is to never forget him or her. Talk about them. Live out their legacy. Now, if you're unable to speak good about your parents, you can honor them by refusing to speak evil of them. Some of us have not had very good parents. Maybe you never met your mom or your dad. Maybe they didn't do a very good job raising you well. You can still honor them by forgiving them and refusing to talk bad about them. Silence can be a form of honor for those who deserve nothing else. So let us take courage and in the care and power and provision of our Lord. For he was eager to take care of his mother, even in his last moments. And how much more eager will he be today to care for those who hear and do his word, the word of God. If Jesus could provide for the needs of his own at the moment of his greatest weakness and humiliation, how much more can he provide for your need in this present time of wealth and power and exaltation he has? And if Jesus purchased the church with his own blood and ordained that it Bereft, that in it bereft mothers find sons and sons find mothers, that no one should be without a caring family today in the body of Christ. This morning has become to a time of decision. If you stand close to the cross, it will change you. Maybe you're comfortable 
in the way you are and would like to stay the way you are. Stay the same. But if you draw near to Jesus, he'll make you new inside and out. Would you pray with me, please? I know the story is so familiar to so many of us, but I'm just imagining what it would be like to, to hear the story for the first time or the words on the cross for the first time. And this word would surprise me. That Jesus, with all his faculties, could present care to these four women and this one man, especially his mother. Thank you, Jesus, for taking care of even the last moments of your life, thinking of others and doing for others. Thank you how much you've done for me and done for us up to this day, even this day, and will in the future, even to the point of our death. We thank you for what happened at the cross for this third word. And may we extend that love and devotion to others, especially our parents, as you did to your parents. We love you and praise you. Fill us your spirit that we can carry out this love and devotion to you and to others. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.